Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with the co-founder of Intuitive Digital, Ryan Christensen. There's nothing more frustrating for a business owner than to think they're missing out on revenue when they shouldn't be. They've got the products, they know their potential clients, the entire system is there, but it's just not optimized enough to do what it needs to do. Ryan's company aims to solve this exact discrepancy. Taking years of experience in sales and advertising and joining with co-founder Vikas Karana, Intuitive was created as an intermediary between a solid marketing firm and an innovative tech startup. Intuitive has been steadily growing with multiple branches, furthering its own cloud-based and AI software solutions, expanding well above retail, and reaching everywhere from healthcare to nonprofits. With branches outside of the United States, Intuitive is certainly becoming a key role player in this competitive industry. They are growing like crazy, and we are excited to interview them. So, Ryan, let's get into it, buddy. Thank you for being here today. Appreciate you having me, Drew. Looking forward to it. Me too. Me too. And I want to hear more uh, about how we got here. What was the uh, origination of the idea, and then how did we get to where we are today? Yeah, you got it. It's uh, it's a pretty interesting story. At least uh, it, it is to me. You know, um, I, I grew up cutting my teeth working inside media companies. Um, you know, call call it being an entrepreneur, building digital businesses inside existing uh, large media companies. Really got a firm understanding, first of all, of the demand in the market for the evolution and need and demand of you know both digital advertising as well as the ongoing advancement of a client's tech stack. Uh, as those demands increased, you know, it became apparently clear that you know, media companies were in a unique position just due to the sheer volume of customers that they touched and the size of their organizations. But a lot of them also struggled with the implementation and execution side. Um, so following, you know, cut my teeth in the media business, I always, what I've labeled had is that entrepreneurial itch. Always wanted to kind of jump out and start my own thing. And it wasn't until I moved to Vegas about nine years ago and took a job inside of a company called Stevens Media. They were a large media company then um, who owned the Las Vegas Review Journal. And I, I had grown up on the advertising side of the business, primarily on the sales side, and had a really unique and ornate understanding and saw the opportunity to you know, be able to build some sustainable new revenue streams for the organization. But it was at this time I met our co-founder, Vikas Karana, and he essentially brought something that was missing to the table, and that's a brilliant technology-based mind of not how to just solve you know, sales and advertising and marketing problems, but how can we do that through unique and proprietary technology? So we, we had a lot of plans to continue being entrepreneurs, if you will, inside the organization. But the way I like to tell the story is I like to think we were pretty good at what we were doing on the sales side stacked up a, a rather significant new revenue stream for the organization. And Mr. Stevens, who owned the company at the time, decided to divest. So we went through the M&A process. Uh. And it was at that time, Vikas and I kind of looked at each other. We had a, a tested and proven model um, for really what was needed and, and demanded by advertisers and marketers. But more importantly, we had some ideas on how to improve the efficiency of how to do business with these organizations through the use of technology. So rather than stay on and, and continue to, to invent that wheel inside uh, you know, the, the Quisitor, we, uh, we, we decided to put on our parachutes and, and took that jump out of the plane. And we've been putting that parachute together ever since. And it's been one hell of a ride. Wow. Now, was that a, um, depending on your personality, the situation, was that a very easy comfortable jump into entrepreneurship or was it scary and feeling very risky? Uh, definitely the latter. Um, you know, at, at the time, of course, there's always, you know, the, the personal and family side of business. I had moved my family out to Vegas in a new market, been here, you know, two and a half years. Knew somewhat of the, the business community that existed, but uh, 
you know, have two little ones as well. So they were probably six and four at the time. So thinking about that, you know, it would have been much more comfortable to, to stay on and continue to grow, um, you know, the, the business that we had helped create. Um, but at the same time, always recognize some of the challenges that exist while, while trying to navigate what are some, you know, relatively large uh, organizations. And, you know, the, the one reason we attributed a lot of our early success inside Stevens Media is we were empowered and enabled to make decisions and remain incredibly nimble. Mm. And, and the one thing I always tell our, our partners is that anybody who tells you they have everything figured out in this digital space, be it in digital advertising or in technology, um, you know, you should probably turn away and run and run pretty fast because it, it's just changing too darn fast. And, and the evolution that's taking place is happening at such a breakneck speed that uh, without being able to be nimble, without being able to evolve, you know, it, it's really easy to become, you know, stale, if you will. So, um, or even you know, outdated, was, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, outdated in, in, you know, the time that we're talking now, you know, you're outdated if you're not staying on top of your game every three to six months as fast as things are moving. So, wow. um, you know, that, that was a core driver in that decision to, to really jump out kind of control our own destiny a little bit, um, you know, while, while focus on solving a lot of problems that we recognized um, that we didn't get a chance to solve for. Yeah. Was there a moment where something tipped the scales for you where it went from an idea to, dang it, we're going to do this? You know, I, I think it was when we first started engaging in some conversations with some of our industry contacts about some of the ideation that we had. Um, you know, it was at that time I really learned it's great to have great ideas, um, but in terms of being able to showcase and truly create value, it's a lot easier to do when you have something firm to be able to point to. Mm. But uh, the feedback we got, you know, from our, from our networks um, that we had built previously to, to starting Intuitive, um, you know, I think really gave us that that stamp of approval that we were thinking right. There was a market here um, that, that we could take a look at and going out and trying to capture. I love it. So when you guys jumped, I like that analogy of jumping out of the airplane and building the parachute as you fall. Yeah. I've always, the way I've thought about for our businesses, uh, setting sail on a boat and you're, you're building the boat at on sea, same idea, right? Like yeah, same idea. we're building, we're building this as we go and, and, and the danger is real. Right. Um, how did what are the what are maybe the the key moments from that starting point to where we are today? So I, I think what you know what comes to mind first is definitely a few of the key lighthouse accounts that uh, that we were able to obtain really within our first six months of of taking this to market. You know, coming out of media, growing up in media, I mean. I, I worked from, you know, in media, essentially in college, all the way through my, my first role inside of the Denver Post in, in Denver. And we just had media circled. We understood the business. We understood where it was going and could be a little bit, you know, um, forward thinking that uh, a lot of times what you find in, I hate to use the term, but more legacy thought style organizations, it's, it's tough to see the forest through the trees sometimes. And I think we were bringing some unique ideas to the table and landing, you know, a few significant relationships for us uh, in the first six months, I, I think really helped put the, the wind underneath our sails. With those first, those first, was it six accounts? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, a handful. A handful. I mean, yeah. What did the, um, at that time, what did your service look like? What was the main value you were giving to these clients? Uh, that's a great question because it's, it's quite a bit different from where we are today. That's what I'm wondering because you talked there. about the speed of innovation. I wonder what the difference was. <laughs> I mean, our, our very first large relationship, essentially, there were, there were four of us who jumped out and started Intuitive. Because myself, we had a, an operational-minded person um, you know, kind of pulling the levers for us on anything that we were taking to market. But what it really looked like is us parachuting into a market for three, four days a week, rolling up our sleeves, building a, a digital and tech stack model 
for this organization and walking through doors side by side with their sales executives, showing and creating that, that value proposition. Uh. Um, so a, a lot of it was primarily focused in the digital marketing and advertising space. Um, it was both building the business model with them as well as educating and training their sales professionals on how to take some of these new, more dynamic solutions to market. Wow. Was that a, um, an easy process for you to deliver the value or was it uh, difficult actually working that out? So, so it was relatively easy in terms of delivering the value and showcasing a lot of those wins. You know, the challenge comes in is as you start looking at scaling new initiatives across any sales organization, and I don't think this is unique to media by, by any sense, you know, um, the, the one thing I always found unique is when, we, when we've gone into these organizations with these new innovative solutions that their sales organization was adopting and looking to provide some new revenue streams for, for their company, um, I, I always found it fascinating that the education process of the sales reps felt like they always had to know how the sausage was being made. Mm. When it, and then if you reverse that thought process and looked at some of their more core longstanding products that they were selling, they didn't know how the sausage was being made there. So I think it, it goes to the psychology of, of sales and, you know, no one in sales ever wants to be in a position to not have an answer. Sure. Um, so a, a big piece of, of that success and our ability to be able to deliver that value, you know, is really building maintaining and sustaining confidence with the sales organization while just as importantly is delivering results to the end customers. Yeah. Let's talk about the sales for, for a bit. I know that can be often one of the trickiest parts for a company to figure out is how do they have an effective sales force? Right. And so with your work, you know, I know it wasn't primarily on the sales force, but it had a component of it. Is there a philosophy that you followed? Is there something in general that you found to be really pivotal in a sales team uh, being much more effective at delivering the results? Uh, I think it's, it's the first is, is a model that we tried to take to market and it's, it's the evolution of that model as well. And really the, the easiest way I'll answer that question is it's simplification. How easy can you simplify the process? How easily can you simplify the product offering? How can you create the value for the end customer? And one of the most important, in my opinion, where, where we saw a unique opportunity to differentiate is ensuring that your execution and implementation is flawless. Mm. Um, spe- specifically, as you were looking at the digital business at the time, you know, there, the demand was there. It, it wasn't hard. People wanted to buy things like Google and Facebook. And if they weren't already buying it, they knew they should be because everything that they were reading, all of their networks were talking about leveraging you know, those solutions to continue to drive their business. But um, the simplica- simplification process was, was really a core driver. And one, one uh, business model we took to market there was it initially started out as our three C's. Um, essentially, the first C in any business, in any business decision, you know, there's always a conversion or a KPI. So that's the first C. What's the conversion? Really, what's the goal here? Are we trying to drive customers? Are we trying to build automation to save on our overhead fixed costs? What is the what? Mm, um, yep. So once that conversion is understood, you know, from there, it's easy for us to then identify the channel. Uh, what channel are, are we speaking to here? You know, is it, a, is it a digital advertising or marketing solution or is it more of a tech-based solution? And, you know, from a tech-based solution a, in those day and age, we were still in the process of, of really building our proprietary tech. So, you know, it was more of the professional services side, providing e-commerce solutions, providing, you know, data and tag management solutions, um, you know, that these organizations really needed to take them to the next level. So, and of course, the last C there is, is the creative. How are we going to creatively implement this or on the digital marketing and advertising side? Um, you know, what does that creative execution need to look like in order to, to effectively, you know, drive the consumer through the, the purchasing and buying funnel? I love that. Very logical deduction, right? We start yeah. here and then it makes us ask this question. And then we get to this creative output. 
Yeah. And, you know, I, I think from there, going back to my point earlier about the evolution, we've actually changed the 3C to today now the 4C. And, you know, out of conversion, out of channel, out of creative, now we've added compute. Because, you know, data is more important in today's day and age than it ever has been. So how are you utilizing the data that you're getting back through making these decisions um, to make, you know, even more intelligent decisions in the future, be that through providing unique business intelligent or through optimizing your, your digital and traditional marketing to ensure you're garnering the, the highest ROI possible. Yeah. Yeah. What have been some of those um, innovation points that have maybe shaped the way the company looks at this point or the service or the, the clientele you're serving? What are some of those innovation points you've gone through? Well, I, I think, you know, very early on, we adopted what we call a, a agnostic approach to how we look at the business. While, while we were incredibly focused on building our proprietary tech and continuing to, to value create with our technology, we also recognized the importance of establishing relationships with the, the bigger players in the space, you know, the Facebooks, the WordPress, the, the big commerce, the WooCommerce, um, just because it's incredibly important to understand where their innovation is taking place. And while our solutions may solve 80% of a problem through partnering with some of these larger organizations, we were able to, you know, establish those longstanding relationships and bring a, a full scope, um, and really the, the best possible solution to the table. So one of the biggest and, and one of the more recent uh, an example I can give you is, you know, in the digital space, you know, we're being hit now with new standards that most people aren't aware of. Um, what I'm speaking to specifically is digital compliance. Huh. Um, you know, a lot of people think of compliance in the healthcare space as HIPAA. Um, you know, you have SOC compliance for a lot publicly traded companies in terms of how they manage their financials and auditing principles. And, but a new one coming out that, that we've decided to make a significant investment in is there, there recently was a court ruling by recent in the last few years um, in a federal court in California that awarded a blind man over $2 million because he was unable to order a pizza on dominoes.com. What? Or their mobile app. So wow. the court, the court actually ruled and, and set precedent that the law, the ADA law that went into play in 1990 actually covers how people do business online as well as in their brick and mortar stores. So um, this kind of set off, first of all, um, you know, a, a massive amount of diligence on our end in order to understand, hey, what's kind of evolving here? What's taking place here? And how can we, you know, make the investment and help folks with disabilities truly have a similar experience? So being someone who's been personally impacted with disabilities, the costs the same, you know, this was a, a unique opportunity for us to, to make an investment and continue to diversify while adding value to the business. And we took a holistic view out of it and went and created a tool that essentially helps um, towards the pathway with compliance. Now, it's our view from a compliance standard perspective when it comes to the ADA that there isn't a silver bullet solution through the use of tools and widgets in addition to impacting physical design and, and how the site is actually coded is the true path to compliance. Um, but what we found is we found as soon as this case law was um, put into motion, it kind of set off a slurry of fly-by-night lawyers starting to send demand letters to customers by the thousands, um, which, you know, really put some people in some pretty tough positions. Oh, yeah. You know, there's nothing like getting hit with a demand letter for something you're not even aware of. Um, so, so that's, I think, a, a good example of really how we've approached the business um, by, you know, trying to stay as up to date as possible and, you know, working that into our, our daily routines of, of just staying relevant. And, you know, I probably spend an hour to, to two hours a day, um, you know, combing different sites and scrolling through LinkedIn and other social media channels just to make sure we're, uh, we're staying relevant um, and, and focused on continuing to provide value to our partners. I love that. 
here's my question in terms of a an innovative company. There's a pitfall if you're not careful that I've seen companies fall into, which is you over innovate. You you spend so much time and resources pivoting here, pivoting there, that you sometimes abandon focus or you abandon the thing that that really is your your breadwinner, right? But then there's companies like yours that are obviously balancing that equation in a helpful way. How do you think about that? How do you think about distraction versus true innovation? Well, I, I couldn't agree with you more, especially early on. You know, I, I mean, when those first few years of, of standing up the company and we're in our sixth going on seventh year now, there was no doubt we were following the money. Um, you know, going it and taking it to a point that we were building some, you know, unique custom software for folks or getting into some business deals that, that gave us some equity stake for yeah. building some custom software at, at cost, if you will. You know, I, I think we've refined that uh, as we've built some uh, stability into the business. Um, you know, as, as we've matured, uh, both with our, our how we've, we've structured a lot of our business models, how we've structured a lot of our, our relationships, you know, that's, that's helped us really focus on, call it the key areas of the business. At the same time, not losing that ability to build a relationship with a partner that you truly are an extension and a resource to help them solve problems. Going back to my point earlier, it may not be a problem we can solve through our proprietary tech, but due to our investment um, into the space, understanding where it's changing, uh, understanding where, where we're continuing to innovate and evolve, um, you know, constantly being that resource, but, you know, that was a challenge and that was a, a tough learning lesson. You know, I think, I think I look back and, you know, there was one point where we sat down and we were just looking at, you know, our customer base. And at one point we were running a thousand, over a thousand campaigns on behalf of end advertisers across the country. Wow. Everything from, you know, PI attorneys to healthcare, to education, to travel, to retail. And it hit me in the face that there were probably only a hundred of those customers who actually knew who Intuitive was. Um, because of how we scaled the business through these media relationships, in a lot of cases, we were you know, positioned as you know, um, white label partners there. So we, uh, we also made the investment of you know, looking strategically across the country and identifying some niche verticals that we thought we could really impact and making the investment in, in building our own sales team out um, to essentially start to build some relationships directly. And, you know, that's, that's been an important call it evolution for us. That's kind of allowed us to control our own destiny a bit more um, while continuing to, to provide you know, extensive amounts of value through different departments in these organizations in which we're working with. I love that. You may have just answered the question I was going to ask next, but I'm going to ask it anyways, just in case something different comes to mind. But as we're talking about, you know, focus versus distraction, innovation, using resources, we're talking about resource allocation, right? Where are we putting our time? Where are we putting our money? Where are we putting our energy? And is that getting us back what we really want? It makes me just curious overview overview of the, of your journey thus far. Does anything come to mind as a, as your greatest investment, the thing that you either put time, energy, or money into that you would say had a disproportionate ROI for the for the business? So I think we're experiencing that right now with that compliance solution that I, I mentioned to you, and I, I say that both from the opportunity it's creating um, for the value it's producing, and really just from you know, who we are as individuals and truly trying to help solve a problem for folks with disabilities. I mean, it has that perfect, call it cocktail of what you really look for, being able to put something you're passionate about in day to day, being able to solve a problem for not just, you know, a, a Fortune 500 company, but truly an end user who, who may struggle day to day to, you know, experience the internet and products and services in the same way you and I do, um, you know, with without that. So that for us has been a, a real eye opener. And we've focused and, you know, put resources behind that. Now, putting my CEO hat on, uh, I can tell you as you know, the companies continued to grow and evolve, 
you know, the level of interest is increased as well uh, in terms of, you know, investment, in terms of M&A. And, you know, I can tell you that as we look at the use of our proprietary technology versus some of the more professional services we sell, we're always going to have that professional services arm just because I think it's important to our identity in being able to solve not just 50% of a problem, but uh, 100% of a problem for our partner. Yeah. Um, but the investment in taking our, our proprietary SaaS and AI ML tools to market, um, you know, is no doubt going to have a positive impact as we think down the road when it is time to take investment, when it is time to, to start engaging in some of those conversations. Because one of the things I'm most proud of is we've yet to take a dollar. We've, we've self-funded this company from, from zero to where we're at today. Um, you know, and the, the future is exciting starting to think about that and what some of those strategic relationships could look like and the value they can bring and the opportunity that that brings to continue to scale, scale the business. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a second. For, for you, why has it not been the right decision yet to take outside money? You know, I'll, I'll tell you, part of that's education. Um, I, I've never been through that process. I think growing up is that, you know, term I used as an entrepreneur, you know, running a, call it not profitable business has never been in the cards for us. Um, so we've, we've always had to be scrappy. We've, we've always had to, you know, be strategic and make sure the decisions we make, we're making, at least we, we felt really strongly were the right ones. Um, you know, when it comes down to it today, it goes back to the same reason why I think we chose to start intuitive. The biggest concern and the biggest thing we're working through in, in determining that, you know, truly comes down to, is it going to affect our ability to be nimble? Yeah. Is it going to affect our ability to make decisions quickly? Because the business we're in um, requires that it's a necessity. So that's why I think while we haven't closed the door on it, um, I don't think we've found, call it that perfect relationship that we feel brings that level of both economical impact to the business in terms of providing scale, um, but just as much as that value add of providing that leadership, thought leadership, um, providing you know, some of those lessons that may be learned that, that we have yet to learn and hopefully will prevent us from learning the hard way. But really, it comes down to decision making um, for us. That's so good. Yeah. It, you know, every time I've heard this conversation or been a part of this conversation, it always seemed to boil down to the unique circumstance and value set even that a company or a CEO finds himself in, right? Yeah. Depending on what you need or you value, if it's either worth it or not worth it. You know, if, if, if the name of the game is how fast can you get to market and it's in a tech space, a software space, you might need some, some outside capital to speed up the R&D and to speed up the, you know, the, the MVP getting out there, but a lot of them will tell you, man, they get sloppy. When you get, when you just get an infusion of cash like that, you start making stupid mistakes that you don't feel because you've got this huge budget that you just, you threw at this and you threw at that versus when you're self-funding, man, you, you, you're looking at every dollar Absolutely. and you're asking good questions. Like, is that working or not working? Was that a stupid use of money or not? Right. Absolutely. And, and even like you said, the speed of decisions and the kind of partners you bring in. I heard one guy talking about this where he said it was actually the guy that started Lululemon. And he was talking about outside investment. And he said, I've seen such a difference in perspective. If you take in outside investment, they're often looking at what's going to be, where are we going to be in five years? Because they want to make their money back. Yeah. Right. And they, so they're making decisions with a five year target in mind to get the valuation to hear, to be able to, to sell or to do whatever. And he's like, but you might be an owner who's not thinking for five years. You're thinking 50 years. And if you're thinking 50 years and legacy and all that kind of stuff, then you've got a different set of priorities than the person who's thinking, we'll do whatever we got to do to get the numbers right for the next five years. Right. For and that sure. could be a big conflict point. Oh, there, there's no doubt. And I think, you know, looking at that example, you know, looking at, at the tech and digital space versus, you know, say, say the retailer apparel space, I think they're, they're very different in terms of their path of evolution and not taking anything away from Lululemon. Trust me, Valentine's Day, my wife's birthday, I spent a significant amount of money <laughs> with that organization. <laughs> but, uh, 
you know, for, for us, I think for me personally, and this is a personal decision, exactly. I'm, I'm very involved in the day-to-day business. I'm, I'm on the phone with customers. I'm, I'm going to meet new prospects. I'm, I'm working with our teams and putting together presentations. And I, I guess I feel I lose a little bit piece of my fulfillment in the job the second I'm spending my time managing up to a, a board of directors or navigating the decision-making path, um, trying to bring everyone in line with, with the goals and direction. So um, I, I'm absolutely not closing the door on it. I think is, as we're continuing to grow, I think there's going to be a, a need yeah. to, make a, to, to look at an investment um, in terms of taking some of these larger next steps. Um, but, you know, fortunately, have not been uh, forced to do so yet. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. Well done to get yourself to a place where you can choose, right? Versus yeah, yeah. this is our only option. You know, we need this infusion of cash to stay alive. Um, well, so that it's makes a lot easier. It's a lot easier to raise money when you don't need it than when you do. So. That's right. That's right. So, uh, man. Okay. So this makes me think of my next question, which is you were talking about how you spend your time. I know this can be a very challenging thing for some founders to figure out as the business grows and evolves and the team gets bigger and what's most needed from them shifts and changes based on the evolution. I wonder for you, two things. One, give us context of how big the team is now. Are there, are you guys a team of 10? Are there 50 people working with you? Like what's, what's the, what's the infrastructure look like in terms of that? And then out of that context, where do you find your highest leverage activities as the founder? Like, What, what are the highest leverage things that when you put my attention on this, my focus on this, that's my biggest contribution at this stage of the business? So for, I'll call it the past 12 months, which I, I will say have been unique. Um, to say the least, know, right? Looking, yeah, no doubt. Looking at, at the most uh, leverage point that I've, I've found myself, it's no doubt in, on the revenue side of the business. Um, you know, thinking about, and strategically navigating how to continue to create value in what's becoming a commoditized space. Um, We're already there on the digital marketing side. Technology is becoming one of those spaces that without a Sherpa, without a headlamp and without a pickaxe, you know, it's becoming relatively challenging to navigate. So um, being able to create that value proposition with with our partners, um, you know, sitting on everything from, from cold calls through, you know, the close is, is where I find at least right now, my time being, you know, most well spent. Now we made the investment and I am so thankful we did in establishing an advisory board and brought a handful of individuals together with massive amounts of experience, um, to, to help us navigate. And thankfully we did that right before the pandemic had started. And, you know, these folks are presidents and CEOs of some large organizations that I think really added immense amounts of value in in helping us navigate through the pandemic, as well as helping us um, prioritize where we're spending our time. Um, So so I think their contributions were invaluable with kind of optimizing our time allocations, because at times, you know, I, I think any CEO of a, of a growth company would find themselves in a position of, you know, playing a little bit of squirrel, you know, squirrel, squirrel, where, where's that coming from? And chasing some of those other opportunities that may not be the great use of time. But uh, um, for us, it was, it was really a back, back to basics, continuing to create value um, and really investing with our sales team and sitting on the revenue side because growing up inside of, primarily newspaper organizations, got really good at expense management as, as those organizations started to get challenged. Cause you know, I was, I was working inside of a newspaper when Craigslist came to be, when, you know, Zillow started, you know, kneecapping the, the classified section and cars.com. So the expense management really came second nature, but refocusing us on, on revenue, I think, um, you know, was, was important for us. And also in hindsight, really where, where I feel I provide the most value to the organization. Uh, it's super helpful. What's the size team currently at intuitive? 
So we have uh, just under 40 full-time employees um, here in the U.S., spread from New York, California, Phoenix, um, actively growing. Um, and then we have roughly a 20-person dev team uh, in India. Okay. And what is, what is, is there the majority of those 40 people doing something or is it kind of split like 10 are on sales team, 10 are doing ops? Like, Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. So right now we probably have an eight person, uh, sales team two focused specifically on tech, which is a, a recent investment taking both our proprietary as well as our, um, uh, professional services to market. Um, our ad business is continuing to grow and grow organically. So I'd say there's 11 individuals on the fulfillment and execution side. Um, we have a couple in finance, one in HR, um, and then a, a few support. And then an investment we've re made recently uh, to the structure is kind of isolating um, client and customer success. Yeah. We, we found initially as we were growing and scaling a lot of that effort was being tasked specifically on the sales reps themselves, um, you know, and saw some of those sales reps starting to hit their glass ceiling with, uh, with their client list. Um, so made the investment both on the technology as well as on the, the ad agency side to invest in building out teams to support sales and more importantly, support our customers. Um, yeah. Did you see any um, significant, challenges or even um, ways that you would relate to the business as you grew in numbers, right? Like the dynamic between people when it was just the four of us who were founders and yeah. then our first dozen and now we're 20, you know, uh, how do you, how did you think about that? You know, I, I think that's an ongoing conversation and will continue to be because, you know, we, we very much believe in a flat hierarchical system. You know, anybody can go to anybody for help, support, advice. Um, but we've also found uniquely that there's some folks as we're, we're growing and scaling the organization with resources that struggle without having that hierarchical approach um, to structure. Um, you know, I think we've always had an org chart but, you know, the, the need for it um, hasn't really been there. And right. now, as we're, now as we're eclipsing kind of that 40 with plans to be at 50 here in the next couple months, um, you know, we're, we're noticing there's some folks who kind of struggle a bit in that, that flat hierarchical system and need a little bit more delineation in terms of reporting structure and decision making. Yeah, it's that need for clarity, right? As the, as the balls continue to grow that we're juggling, it, the communication, the clarity, the things, the things like that just are more required, right? Uh, no doubt. There, there's no doubt, you know, being able to make a decision nimbly and quickly is one thing, but ensuring it's communicated effectively and efficiently to the organization yeah. itself, you know, can be challenging at times. And, you know, that, that's definitely a lesson I'll tell you, we've, we've learned the hard way and, you know, have to remind ourselves that, you know, as, as we're making some of these decisions, making sure it's effectively being communicated across the organization is of utmost importance. Mm. Well, that, that, that's perfect. So that leads me to, to one of my other questions I had for you. I love in my own reading and, and just networking with other people, I'm always trying to save myself the dummy tax wherever I can, right? Where someone else's mistake turns into a story that I am able to hear and if possible, not have to pay the same price that somebody else paid, right? And so that's why I like often asking a founder like you, What's the most costly mistake you think you made? You know, the, the dummy tax. There's a, there's a book called uh, yeah. The Road Less Stupid, which is like the best book title I've ever heard uh, because the whole point of the book was this guy saying, if I could just make your road a little less stupid, you could, have got, you could get to where you want to go a lot faster, right? Uh, does anything come to mind that was a particularly painful uh, or costly? So cost could be an embarrassment or cost could be money to the company. Uh, yeah. But what's a particularly painful cost that you guys had to pay in the learning process? There's two, and it's a really easy answer for me reflecting. Um, <laughs> the first is pretending I was a lawyer. Do not do it. <laughs> whether, it's, whether it's redlining an agreement or making sure if, if you have a question in terms of accepting
being legal, you know, I, I took a few law classes in college and, you know, thought, thought that was enough for me to be able to navigate early on. And those comma and dots mean something in those agreements. So, wow. I'd say that that would be the first. So the investment in, you know, the, the proper guidance from legal counsel, you know, early on, definitely, you know, trying to, to maximize the bottom line, you know, probably I do it myself. Yeah. I yeah, yeah, tried to cut some corners there and, and learn that lesson. The other is the, the investment in truly a CPA who understands your business, having the right legal counsel, having the right CPA for, at least me in my position where I feel my time's most valuable and having a, a trust and relationship there really frees me up to, to focus on where I can impact the business the most. And I, I think those were two lessons, you know, we learned, we learned through the maturation of the organization, especially as we started noticing how much time and effort and energy can go into managing finance, can go into managing, you know, legal and legal relationships, be it, you know, general, uh, practice stuff on the legal side, all the way down to, you know, protecting IP, you know, submitting patents, et cetera. So uh, I think those two, me, two for me stick out um, and, and definitely is the advice I'd give to anybody starting out. Make sure you're getting the proper legal advice. Man, that's actually really cool because it reminds me of a conversation I had with my dad a few years back. He was a business owner for 40 something years before he sold his business and retired. And I remember asking him, a similar question, but not necessarily in the same context, but it was like, dad, what did you find to be most important? And his answer was just like, you're so simple. He said, find a lawyer you can trust and find an accountant you can trust. And he, he said, and once you do never argue with them over their price. So he said, uh, he said they're worth their weight in gold. If you actually have a lawyer you can trust and you actually have a CPA, you can trust He goes, whatever their price is, pay it. And he said, and never, never negotiate like from then on. And he's like, I had the same one for 30 years. The first 10 years, I didn't have the right lawyer. And I didn't have the right CPA and it cost me so much money in that time. once I've in time and, 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 and oh, even yeah. just staying up at night, like, how's this going to go? And he's like, once I found him, he's like, I, whatever it was, I paid it. Like, you're my guy. And they were that for the rest of his business. So it's interesting that you brought up the same thing. Yeah. And, and I mean, it wasn't until probably two years ago in our maturation that we actually found that. So there was, there was four years of those, those late nights and beating our head against the wall and, you know, feeling like we were stubbing our toe every time we took a step. So yeah, um, I, I couldn't agree more with him. Especially, man, you just, <clears throat> you don't know when you're going to step on a landmine. You know, sure. somebody that was looking to take advantage of you or the the economy takes a hit like it did last year and your finances are not really squared away and prepared for, or, you know, he's, I mean, he just had people try to take advantage of him all the time. He was in commercial construction and yeah. you'd get a lawsuit out of nowhere about something that was made up or whatever. But like, if you don't have the right representation, it could take you down and you're all your, all your work goes out the window. Right. Yeah, it's true. And, and knock on wood, we haven't had to deal with, with, you know, any, any litigation, but just, just in terms of the time that goes in to, you know, IP creation, patent filing, yeah, day-to-day you know, -day contractual, um, you know, needs of the business. Having that and having someone you trust on that legal side is important, and just as much so on the CPA side. So I love it. All right, last question before we get into the lightning round. All the way back at the beginning of the conversation, we talked about that jump, taking the jump out of the airplane, assembling the parachute in real time as you are in the middle of the risk. How do you personally relate to and handle things like fear, doubt, uncertainty as the leader of this, this company? So I think what I bring to the table more so than most is a level of optimism. I, I'm, I'm the optimistic guy who's, you know, gonna, gonna push for, for us to constantly take the jump. I, I'm surrounded by very black and white ops-minded professionals, technology-minded professionals, and find myself kind of creating the vision as well as reinforcing it with positivity. Um, you know, spending less time on looking at the worst case scenario and spending more time looking at the best possible outcome. You know, a lot of times you, you land somewhere in the middle, but reinforcing and reinstilling in, in the organization and the team, you know, that even somewhere in the middle, there's a lot to be learned there. Yeah. Um, and, and in most cases, falling somewhere in the middle, 
positions you better for future growth and future opportunity to be able to capitalize on. Yeah, man, that's so good. It reminds me of, I'm going to butcher it, but that's that kind of just that saying of you shoot for the stars and if you land on the moon, you're still on the moon, right? It's like, Hey man, that's the moon's not a bad place to go. You still made it out of space, right? Oh, there's no doubt, man. And and yeah, I I find myself specifically with, you know, so much of our, our team, it's been refreshing to me to continue to make the investment into sales, you know, because the sales investment we've made is a relatively new one. And I find myself, you know, uh, I, I grew up on the, the sales and revenue side of the business. So that's naturally my side. I've learned to, to navigate, you know, ops personalities, operations personalities and technology personalities. And I think that that constant reinforcement of positivity, that constant investment in culture um, really, really goes a long way. And I think is a, a big reason of uh, why I've personally been successful and been able to get the fulfillment out of creating the company that I have. Love it. Love it, man. This has been a great conversation. Let's get into our lightning round questions. Five questions that we've asked every founder that's been on the podcast. Question number one, if you could ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would it be? Culture is everything. People are everything. You know, I had a mentor growing up who, who said, you know, you can have the best products and services in the world, but without the right people, without the right culture behind it, um, you know, you're going to flounder. So that's something I've, I've carried with me everywhere, making sure you're, you're continuing to invest in people, you're continuing to challenge and grow people, um, you know, I, I think is number one. And when I look at our success, um, you know, the, the growth that we've been able to see in some folks uh, is is really a big piece of the fulfillment and a big piece of why who we are who we are so love that okay question number two what is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business and also what was the worst so I'm gonna go back to that positive positivity statement and um, you know I, I think I spend a lot of time reminding myself is that you are what you think about um, you know and you are who you hang with those two sayings have, have really always stuck with me. And I think at times when I find myself, when we find ourselves in some cha- challenging times, which we navigated quite a few of them, you know, through the pandemic, it, it definitely wasn't, uh, you know, what we were used to in typical, our, our growth trends, things flattened out a little bit and we had to reinstill that. So continuing to, to think about the end of it and what it looked like coming out, I think has benefited us immensely. And we are, you know, in a position right now as things are opening back up, capitalizing on that very much so. In terms of uh, the worst advice, uh, I'd have to say, uh, probably paying too close attention to expenses. You know, don't get me wrong, expenses are important. They need to be managed. And maybe I take a little bit of that for granted just due to my past. But, uh, you know, paying for talent and paying for people at particular times can have a profound impact. And I think we've recently just learned that very early on, we weren't in a position to be able to do that and pay for talent. We had to grow a lot of our own talent. Um, it wasn't, you know, uh, in, until the past few years that we were able to make the investment in truly you know, paying for expertise and talent that have come in had a very positive impact on the organization. Oh yeah. There's definitely certain things you don't want to penny pinch on if you, if you don't have to, right. You get what you pay for sometimes. All right. That's awesome. Number three, what causes you the most stress or worry leading your organization currently? I think scale, Um, you know, scales. I, I think the thing that keeps me up most at night, be it scaling our, our technology solution, um, you know, be it scaling our product innovation and product development, because it so much relies on us continuing to evolve and continuing to provide value that becoming stale, um, you know, is relatively easy to do in our space. So scaling our product innovation, scaling our product roadmaps, um, you know, scaling the organization in general, uh, I think is, is where I spend the most of the, my time kind of call it not stressing or worrying, but strategically thinking about how we're going to address because I do view it as our biggest challenge. 
Yeah, cool. All right, let's look to the future. What is your current BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal? I want to build this thing to a $100 million company. Um, we're, uh, we're a quarter of the way there. Um, we're, we're taking some significant jumps. Like I said, you know, last year threw us off our growth trends a little bit, but um, we have some, you know, very aggressive goals for finishing out this year as well as continuing to stack next year. So, um, you know, that, that hundred million mark is, is definitely one that is that, that big, hairy, audacious goal. Let's go. I love it. Okay. Our last question is our fun, creative question. If you could hop into a DeLorean, go back to the past and tell yourself just one thing out the driver's side window as you drive by, when would you go back and what would you tell that younger version of yourself? I'd probably, oh, that's a great one, man. That's a great question. As far as it relates to business, I, I would say I'd probably go back 15 years and have done this sooner, um, have jumped out and, you know, been a little bit more, uh, more risky at the time, but, uh, you know, that being said, I probably wouldn't have met a few of the folks I met along the way that, uh, you know, have had such a profound impact on me personally and professionally. Yeah. Um, you know, from a personal standpoint, I, I'd probably go back to, to college and kick myself in the butt a little bit uh, to get up for those early classes that maybe I missed once or twice. <laughs> Just once or twice? That's good. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, I, I, I would have told myself not to miss all of them because I missed all of them. <laughs> oh, man, it's so fun. Again, we've done close to 100 interviews now, and I'm starting to see the trends because we asked the same question over and over again. Yeah. And I don't think I've had somebody yet say they would have waited longer. I bet. Everyone, yeah. every, almost everyone has said, I would have jumped sooner. I would have trusted my gut earlier. Uh, yet they've also caveated it, which I think is just beautiful with not actually wanting to change anything. So we're playing a hypothetical, you know, game here. And in that sense, that's the advice, but they're always like, but in the end of the day, life has happened the way it needed to happen. And everything that's happened is, has been meaningful and part of where I am today. So I I've just enjoyed hearing, hearing some of those things emerge. I bet. I bet. That's cool, man. Well, thank you so much for making time to be here today. This has been a really valuable conversation. It's clear to see why you guys are the company you are making the impact you're making. And uh, I'm excited to see your BHAG come true. Well, I appreciate it, Drew. Thanks for having me, my man. Yes, sir. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.